When you've been boning the same special woman for as long as I have, you learn how to really turn her inside out with your rock-hard cock. Since we've met, we've fucked thousands of times. But even today, there's nobody I'd rather have deep-dicking me at night and fucking me again in the morning. People ask how we've lasted so long. And I say it's all about accepting change. When Doris was younger, she liked to be thrown around like a rag doll. But these days, she doesn't care what I do as long as I give her pussy the drilling it needs. On the other hand, he's still the same old Isaac. He loved coming on my tits 55 years ago, and he still does today. I like to listen to Sick and On After I have a hit of my bone, of my bone, of my bone. I like to listen to Sick and On After I have a hit of my bone, of my bone, of my bone. I like to listen to Sick and On After I have a hit of my bone, bone. If I need to write a song, but it didn't take me very long. Well, now's the end. Uh, yeah. Oh, Adam and Eve, Eve. Good evening. Welcome to Sick and Wrong, the world's source for antisocial commentary. I'm one of your hosts, D. Simon. Hi, it's me, Kate Rambo. Hiya. Kate Rambo, a happy Hi. belated Valentine's Day. And a happy Valentine's Day to you and to all the listeners that I love. Soon, we'll actually be able to spend a Valentine's Day together. You would think in this modern world. That well, maybe. Um, big news, and we're going to be getting into it on the second show, but Kate's petition, her I-130 form to apply for a green card, has finally been approved. After, what, like 14 and a half months? Yeah, we were a little overdue, but I'm now one step closer to um, blowing this joint, blowing this popsicle stand. Well, it's insane how much time and money it takes to have for someone to move to to immigrate to the U.S. It's fucking crazy, especially with just the bureaucracies you got to deal with. Um, and it was all impacted by COVID, so it's even taken longer. But finally, the petition for you to apply for a green card has been <laughs> yeah. approved. So now so, I can apply, which is going to be, um, what I'm going to be doing all this week is applying for a green card. Whilst also putting up two fingers to the queen. Who is yeah. <laughs> so anyway, um, if you want to help uh, get Kate to, uh, to the U.S., sign up for the Patreon, <laughs> because that's what's going to cover the cost of her coming to this country. Yeah, people don't realize how expensive it is. And you know what? We're going to be the last of the people to pay. They're about to like jack up the prices. Even so if more? you're wanting to emigrate to the... Yeah, if you're wanting to apply for a visa to come emigrate to America, fucking get it in now, babes. Do it fucking fast. I mean, it's already pretty expensive. I can't even imagine that. And then on top of that, if you go, if you hire a lawyer, then you're paying like two or three grand even more. Yeah, it's, I mean... It's not a cheap thing. And plus, you have to uh, already have to earn over a certain amount of money to even petition someone. It's not like you could be working at McDonald's petitioning people. Yeah, I looked it up, though. You really, I think you, in order for you to sponsor someone to come here, you have to make over like 30K a year. Oh, well, that's not too bad, then. No, that's not that bad. Because I, I was wondering, I'm like, what do, what do they, they, they want you to pay? Because I imagine like in Nebraska or somewhere, 30K is not that bad. But in LA, obviously, it's... It's, you know, you're definitely towards the bottom there. Um, but anyway, thankfully, I do make over 30K a year. 
Okay, um, the humble brag. Yeah. <laughs> not <laughs> Some that of much. Us don't. Not that much <laughs> more, though. Don't. don't get me wrong. <laughs> anyway, we, we get into it uh, on, on the second show. Um, but back to Valentine's Day. I was wondering about this. Is Valentine's Day a thing in the UK? Yes and no. I will say this. I'm, I've never been, been a Valentine's Day chick. I don't really care for it. But what I love about Valentine's Day is it's more personal for me is because on that date around 38 years ago, my mother went into premature labor on Valentine's Day. Uh, she was nearly two months early and I was just, just dying to get out of her. I'd had enough. I was like, I don't care that I'm fucking so underweight. I just like, I gotta get out of this woman. And then a week later, after they had spent a week trying to stop her giving birth to me, I tore out of her vagina and I emerged into this world. Yeah, so a week after Valentine's Day is your birthday. So I consider Valentine's Day the start of really like, you know, it was kind of like um, a butterfly coming out of its little, what is it? A chrysalis? A chrysalis? A chrys- it's yeah, it's, it's chrysalis. So a chrysalis. Uh, actually... You know, uh, your birthday is going to be uh, what? Two days? Uh, Tuesday. On the Tuesday, yes. yeah. Yeah, twenty first. So it's kind of a birthday show. Um, it is. Your Valentine's Day. I wonder if it's a big thing in Europe, like in general. Do people go and buy flowers and cars and chocolates and all that? I think if you don't do that, there's going to be a lot of pissed off ladies. Yeah. So it's so even p- some chicks are like, "Oh, I don't care. Don't get me anything." But then if you get them nothing, they're like. He didn't even get me anything. It's like, I genuinely don't care about it because to me, I'm just like, this is the start of me being born. But it's the same deal then in the U.S. Because women get so upset if you don't, if you don't at least acknowledge it. Happy Valentine's Day. And single women, single women get very depressed. (laughs) I I write my favorite thing about Valentine's Day is the bitters. (laughs) <laughs> the people who are just so bitter about that day in existence. It's like, let let the people be, like, let people be in love if they want to be in love. If they want a day to be overly dramatic about being in love, just let them have it, okay, you know? I, like, get I, over it. On, uh, when was Valentine's Day? Was it, like, Tuesday or something? I saw yes. um, this girl who just broke up with her boyfriend, like, three days, like, like three days prior. So I think she broke that up guy's with her boyfriend the weekend. Yeah, right before Valentine's <laughs> Day. She was just sobbing in her cubicle while these, oh, this girl made these Valentine's Day cupcakes and was just walking around passing them out. And the girl just, like, picked up a cupcake and just started sobbing. I tried to get a video, but uh, it would have been, I don't know, it would have been difficult for me to do that. <laughs> I just want to um, extend a thanks to anyone who breaks up with anyone like a day before Valentine's Day. I just think it's really Play, funny of you to do that. Think you how break. much money you save. You save money, but it's such a dickheadish thing to do as well. Be like, <laughs> you know what's coming. <laughs> I personally have always hated Valentine's Day. I fucking hate it. I hate trying to like book a reservation last minute because I, I forgot at a restaurant and they all have I would the, never do that. And they all have the fucking fixed price menus, which as a Jew, I find like reprehensible. Disgusting. Oh yeah. No, it's, it's like, I'm not going to eat all that food. No, I don't, I don't care about anything like that. To me, it's just, um, it's a great day in history because it's the day I started to get out, get away from my mother. It's the day that you had water on the brain. And they took you out prematurely. <laughs> <laughs> and yet you still have a little bit of water on the brain. 
Oh, there's some definitely still there. And maybe a bit, a little bit of that fetal alcohol syndrome. <laughs> a little bit of fetal alcohol syndrome. Maybe that's why you want to get out. There's too much booze. Cigarettes <laughs> well, in there. No, my mum, my mum's the, uh, the sober one. It was my dad who was drinking for about four or five of us. <laughs> I do. I do buy flowers, though, on Valentine's Day. I always like doing that. Call me old school. Yeah. But I always like doing like, that. You know. And occasionally vibrators or butt plug. You know, it's the Adam and Eve. You can't go wrong next. with that. You cannot. Um, I agree with you there. They, however, they're the gifts that keep on giving. However, I don't know in the future whether or not dudes are going to have to really deal with that anymore. You know, buying flowers and chocolates or, you know, a vibrator or lingerie on Valentine's Day. And the reason being is average penis length is growing over the past 30 years. Has it now? Is that because vaginas are getting deeper? The average penis length has increased over the past 30 years, according to this new study. Um, And uh, doctors call it concerning, which I beg to differ. Um, (laughs) Why is it concerning? Is it because men are tugging it more? Vaginas are getting deeper? What's going on here? So researchers fear that the phallic inflation, it's a good kind of inflation, is due to unhealthy habits like binging junk food or being mostly sedentary, or even pollution. Oh. So if you think okay. about it, wait, like so if you think about this, if I just add more Burger King to my diet, I'm going to get inches on my cock? But don't you get inches on your stomach as well? doesn't matter. My cock is what matters. Yeah, but if your stomach hangs over your cock, you're never going to see your cock. Yeah, but the more it grows, the, you know, it's like if I added like six inches to my dick, who cares about my beer gut? I do. I would rather <laughs> you so, be divorced. <laughs> this came out in the, the World Journal of Men's Health. Stanford actually ran this study. Um, and uh, they had data from 55,000 men from 1992 to 2021 focusing on the length of an erect penis. And they discovered that the average penis size has grown 24% over nearly three decades. Is... is Right, this is what I'm wondering. So do you think there's like a specific department in Stanford University where men's will come in and just get rock hard and then there's just like one like intern who just measures it with a ruler or do you think they're measuring at home and sending in the results? Because I wouldn't trust men, men at home measuring their dicks and sending in results. I'm not trusting that. You've got to come into the department. You know, I don't know how they control that. Although didn't Stanford, wasn't Alfred Kinsey there? Did they have the... Yeah, the Kinsey report is from Stanford. Didn't that start at Stanford? So they probably have like... They must have a department for sex. Yeah, a department, like a sexual studies department or something like this. So erectile penal length is growing longer from an average of 4.8 inches to 6 inches now. Um, As a person who has seen many cocks in real life, can I just confirm that? No. (laughs) Is it all foreskin over there? It's all foreskin. To be the, fair, I mean, like, mo- most men are just average, and that's what you want. You want an average dick. Because, like, I'm not a size queen. I'd like, uh, personally, I've had too, like, too many too big cocks. And you can't really do well, much with a too big cock. But the average was 4.8, and girls are used to that. But now it's already 6. So who knows, like, 10, 20 years from now, what if the average is 9? What are you going to do? Well, is this, with is your this shallow because. Vaginas? Is this because vaginas are getting bigger? No. It, it, that, well, that's why doctors are concerned, because they, they feel that this might cause an issue 
with um, this could be the end of our sexual species. relationships. Yeah, I mean they they feel that the that smaller penis size, which past research said smaller penis size was linked to pollution, but now they believe that toxin exposure can cause the penises to become enlarged, to grow, like, like pesticides and hygiene products are making are in, you know sparking growth with men's genitalia. Trauma dick. Now this. This uh, um, statistic here actually kind of bothered me. I was thinking about this. So American males' penises rank only 59th in the world. Like, isn't that a shock? What, what as size or like beauty or like, I don't know, the way they give out the no, speeches size. at the pageants? Size. American penis size is only 59th in the world. What, did you think it was going to be number one? At least in the top five. Who is in the top five? So, right. Can I tell you this? I already know who isn't in the top five, and that's China, and that's Japan, and a lot of other Asian countries are not in the top five. Well, you are right about that. But so the average length in the U.S. is 5.35 inches, but that's shorter than Haitian, French, and Aussie counterparts. Yeah, duh. I could have said all of that for you. The French are lovers. The Australians are shaggers, right? Like, yeah, America's totally going to be behind them. French men's genitals are 6.20 inches in length, while Australia ranks 43rd at 5.69. Okay, that's pretty good. Now, Haiti. What about Italians? Well, of course, Haiti. Haiti. Come on, who lives in Haiti? <laughs> Haiti <laughs> has an average penis size of 6.3. All right, obviously, a it's a shithole country, but who lives in Haiti? A lot of black guys. So there I'm you go. That's the racist. answer. So where are the Italians? Put, That's a generalization. Put the Italians in the mix. You know, they didn't even say Italians. Like, they, they rank so low, they didn't even bring them into it. I do not agree with this because we all know it. It's an Italian stallion. Italians have big cocks. We all know this. Ecuadorian men. Ecuadorian men have the biggest penises at an average of 6.95. But I'm not moving to Ecuador, mate. What, what am I moving there for? The fucking mountains. Like, I don't care about the big penises. The it's smallest shit. can be found China. in Cambodia. <laughs> holiday point, in Cambodia. 3.95. <laughs> Not much of a holiday. Hey. But this is the only thing that really matters to me and didn't make me uh, start drinking when I read this article. Men in the U.S. narrowly beat those in the U.K., as the average size recorded over in the UK, five point one seven. So you guys can eat a dick, eat a big, large, fifty ninth in the world U.S. dick. Was that with foreskin or without foreskin? Though, are they measuring with well, or without foreskin? Well, that's no, it's erect. So do you? You don't really foreskin doesn't really play a role when your dick's erect, does it? Is it about they're all the same, <laughs> right? You're like, does it? I, I don't <laughs> know. I don't more. have one. You roll the foreskin down. You roll it, roll it up and down. Yeah, and so the, the boys will—they like it. They come from it. So as long as the U.S. is beating the U.K. in penis size, I'm cool. But my point here—my point here—is in the near future, men's men aren't going to have to stand in the queue for an hour to get a bouquet of roses or desperately call restaurants trying to get a last-minute reservation for a ridiculously priced Valentine's Day dinner. All we're going to have to do is just whip out our massive Taco Bell enhanced cocks ridiculous there that's all we gotta do and be like happy valentine's day baby <laughs> just eat more taco bell drink more beer larger equals larger cock it's the american way <laughs> yeah then maybe we'll be like 58th in the world 
Who knows? Anyway, this week on the show, we have a very romantic story about love, loss, love a few more times, and uh, then murder. It's the story of Dolly Osterreich, who was a married woman who kept her secret lover hidden in her attic for over a decade. Newspapers described her as a naughty vamp and comely. Her eyes and her appetite, sexual appetite, would bring a long line of men into her life and send one to his death. Uh, before we get into all of that, let's chat about the Sick and Wrong patron here. If you love Sick and Wrong, sign up for the Sick and Wrong patron. That's, that's the best way to show your love. It really is, you know? Um, if you listen every week, all you got to do is throw us a couple bucks to keep this show going, especially now that I mentioned before, trying to save funds for Kate moving here to L.A. Uh, you can even donate via PayPal if you don't want to do a subscription thing. Um, but on Patreon, you actually get something in, in return. So for only five bucks a month, you get access to the Sick and Wrong second show. Every week we do an extra show on Patreon that is quite a bit more saucy, a little bit more personal. Uh, this week we go into a lot of detail about this whole elaborate visa process. Um, very complicated. We also talk about how my sister has become very upset that my brother has been negatively influencing Ozzy. Yeah. Good. He Ozzy needs to start being corrupted. He has now become a Ramones fan. Next, well, he's he's becoming a Gua fan. As soon as she well, lets me Jeff, show him Gua. Jeff hangs out there, you know, a couple times a week, and he's been, oh, he you know, influencing him. He's Ozzy's already started smoking cigarettes. Well, not, I, not dicks, cigarettes. Um, as I say, we have this theory. I have this theory that Ozzy is already going to be a homosexual because of his entire environment. So, did Ozzy go on a gay date? He, he's not even two years old, Kate. He's gonna be gay. Yeah. Nothing wrong with being a gay baby. He's a gay baby. I think he's got a little bit of time, and if he wants to smoke dicks, no problem here with me. Anyway, it's not that that bothers uh, Stephanie. It's it's the fact that he's become exponentially lazier in the past like two months <laughs> than he ever was before, and Stephanie's growing quite concerned. Um, all he really cares about is watching TV now, and Jeff like brings him like du- Jeff will give him Doritos. Which babies aren't supposed to eat Doritos. Are they not? I don't know what a baby's supposed know. to eat. Anyway, five bucks a month, and you can support your favorite podcasters on the Patreon. And for a few dollars more, you get access to our a bonus episode, Sick and Wrong Overkill. And this week is the premiere of the official Sick and Wrong Movie Club. So for the uh, inaugural episode, we chat about the movie Shirley, featuring Elizabeth Moss as uh, Shirley Jackson, the horror yeah. novelist. We're going to do this like every month. We'll all pick a film. We'll all watch it. We'll talk about it. And then you can like disagree with me or agree with me because obviously I'm right about everything ever. So how's it going to work? Are you going to announce the movie that we plan to do next time? Or do you just on the page yeah. and say like, hey, we're going to be doing this movie. Watch it. I'll do definitely do polls on the Patreon because it's going to be like a a worldwide thing i have to hope that everyone can like access a film on like netflix or hulu or like youtube or something like that and then we'll we'll all try and watch it well what was weird about shirley is shirley's surely the movie came out in 2020 didn't really have a theatrical release probably due to the pandemic but it was on netflix in britain but not netflix in the u.s i had to watch it on hulu Surely you can't be serious. Yeah. No, you are serious. It, it was weird. <laughs> anyway, check out Kate Rambo's Sick and Wrong Movie Club only on the Patreon. And also at the uh, that level here, you get access to the Sick and Wrong Archives, which is the first 10 years 
of Sick and Wrong on SoundCloud playlists only on the Patreon. Patreon.com slash Sick and Wrong. Sign up today. Here's a quick promo. And uh, then let's chat about uh, the very randy Dolly Osterreich and her secret lover in the attic. Greetings, loyal subjects in the UK and in the colonies. I love the Sick and Wrong Patreon. It gives me news stories, extra phone calls, and lots of tips on how to deal with my son Andrew, the sweaty nonce. Anybody found in the UK or the colonies not subscribed to the Patreon will face beheading. Thank you. So, okay, Rambo, this is a bit of a vintage crime. It's a vintage I crime story. It. Yeah. You know I'm into it already. So this 1920s murder and love triangle that involved Dolly Osterreich is strange and sorted even by today's standards. Like if this happened now, you'd still be like, what the fuck? This is weird. Yeah. It is very <laughs> weird. Um, it involves a comely woman named Dolly. Comely means fat, doesn't it? No, it's attractive. That's why comely women was attractive. To me, comely is just like a side word for, and she's a bit podgy. Well, that's the thing. They said she was very attractive, but like you look at the pictures, she looks a bit podgy to me. But that was, but they had different standards in the 1920s. 1920s, they wanted you to have a bit of podge on you, didn't they? Because the depression was here, no one had work. Like, I mean, they wanted you to look healthy and robust. They liked their women Rubenesque, whereas then they got thinner over time. But now we're kind of getting back. To the, the a, podgy, the, the podginess. Yeah. Um, so this comely woman named Dolly, uh, she murdered her husband. She had a lover who is known as the Garrett Ghost, who at Dolly's behest lived a bat-like existence in a hidden room in the attic. It's I live weird, a bat-like like existence now. Yeah. I mean, actually, you know, reading through this story, and we'll get to it in a, in a second, I don't. I kind of admire that guy's existence. It did seem that bad to me. I'd be down for it. I'd be down. Anyway, Dolly Osterreich was born Valberga Korschel in 1880 oh, to German immigrant parents. It was unclear if she was actually born in Germany or shortly after her German parents emigrated to the U.S. Uh, but she grew up in Milwaukee, Milwaukee, Wisconsin amongst a community of fellow German immigrants, which there's actually kind of a lot of German people just in Wisconsin and towns named after uh, German towns. I don't know much about America, but I, I do know that you're pronouncing uh, Milwaukee, Milwaukee wrong. Milwaukee. It's Milwaukee, yes. Alice Cooper, <laughs> Wayne's World, thank you. I'm not pronouncing it like an American Indian, <laughs> a Native American. I'm pronouncing it like a uh, Midwestern Jewish man. Milwaukee. <laughs> Um, at age 12, Valberga, she worked at a textile mill of, uh, of a Mr. Fred William Osterreich, who was also a German immigrant who had become very successful, and he frequently hired fellow immigrants in his factories. So he owned several factories. Um, he was very successful, um, and, uh, and he gave back, gave back to the community by, uh, by allowing these German immigrants to work there. Well, Valberga was, all, by all accounts, a very attractive and charismatic girl. She had many friends, very popular at the factory. Um, she quickly attracted Fred's notice, and uh, they married when she was only 17. Yeah. He was quite a bit older. Um, now, Fred was a successful business owner, 
But that also meant that he had to work long hours. And Fred was a big drinker. He drank a lot, that Fred. Um, so Dolly, I wouldn't say was very satisfied. I mean, she's a young woman. She's only 17, 17. You know, early 20s. And she had needs. And Fred was either too busy or too drunk to meet to these needs. So from the beginning of the marriage, Bulberga was rumored to have invited many different lovers into her home during the day while Fred was busy managing his mills. I don't blame her. She no, needs milk. I mean, well, that's the thing. With quite a, an age gap, you know, sexual appetites are probably different. I mean, she's kind of like a, tro- it sounds like she's a trophy wife for Fred, but he's obviously not fulfilling his matrimonial duties here. Um, the LA Times wrote a piece. This is quite a, a salacious story at the time. Um, but the LA Times wrote, wrote about her saying, her eyes and her appetites would bring a long line of men into her life and send one to his death. <gasps> dun, dun, dun. Clutching my pearls. So one fateful day in autumn, 1913, Dolly discovered that her sewing machine wasn't working. She called Fred to complain about it and Fred's like, I'll send you, I'll send over a repairman. Well, who, who did he send over? 17-year-old Otto Sanhuber. Dolly must have figured that Fred would send Otto over because she knew the teenager worked for him at the factory. And so when, he, when Otto arrived at their house, guess who greeted them at the door? Wearing stockings, a silk robe, and nothing else. Is this, this is like a 1930s porno, isn't it? Seems like it, yeah, like vintage porn. This well, totally is. This is like porno before, like, the. this is like pizza guy porno. Dolly was ready to get it on. Put that oh, way. fuck yeah, she is. She was ready to get it on. She's got her silk robe on, her stockings. And uh, this began a bizarre affair that would last uh, just over a decade. So in the, wow. in the beginning, Dolly and Otto had to be quite secret about this whole thing because obviously they couldn't, uh, Fred couldn't find out about it. So they met in hotels uh, for their tryst. But after a while, it kind of became a bit of a pain in the ass to go meet in hotels and sneak around like this. So they just started having sex in the matrimonial bed in Dolly's house, which is quite an affront if you think about it. I mean, have you ever had sex in the bed that you shared with your partner? Have you ever cheated on your partner in the same bed that you, uh, that you slept, slept in with them? I've cheated on partners in the past, but never while I've been living with them. And I think, like, up, up until you start living with somebody, it's kind of like, it's not, you know, 100% serious. But when you start living with somebody, then the rules kind of change a little, don't they? Well, especially when you're married, too. But I do think oh, if you declare yeah, married, exclusivity, but... you should respect that, even if you don't live together. Um, yeah, but I mean, that's, I was like very, I was in my early 20s when I cheated on like my boyfriends. And I think if you're ever going to cheat, it should go, it should be in your early 20s when you are just like discovering what life is kind of all about. If you're cheating when you're in your fucking 50s, like get get a life, just break up with them. Like if you're not happy, yeah, you don't have to fucking be with them. Be an adult about it. But regardless, I don't think I would, even if I was like in my 20s or whatever, and I was cheating on my uh my girlfriend, I don't think I could do it in the bed that we were normally sleeping. I think it would just be, I'd feel too guilty about it. I'd have to do it somewhere else. Would you wash the sheets? But where else are you going to do it? On the if couch, you don't have bed. In a, on the floor, in the hotel, in the bathtub. What? I don't give a shit. 
in the couch where you sit and you watch telly together and you have your food. Not as That's bad. That's just as bad. Just for some, for, to me personally, it's just not as bad as doing it in the bed that we share, that we sleep in. I, I don't know why it's just more symbolic or something. I, I just think just don't fucking cheat, but... <laughs> But I anyway. can understand why she wants to cheat. She's fucking, she needs to get shagged. I'm on Dolly's side. And she side didn't give a shit. Dolly's just like, fuck it. Let's just do it in the bed. I bet you she even like gave him like Fred's underwear to put on afterwards. I'm enjoying you know? this so far. Good for you, Dolly. Get your end, love. Get Soon. Your end. Get your hole. Soon, though, noisy neighbors start asking about this guy who they see hanging around, coming and going every now and then. And the noises coming from their apartment, you know, from their house in the middle of the day. Of course. And so Dolly said, oh, that's my vagabond half-brother. Mm-hmm. She's like, and he this comes getting... over here for money and food. This is like cruel intentions now. It's getting good. Well, Dolly was becoming concerned because now she's worried that the neighbors might talk to Fred. Fred's going to find out. It's going to be a big deal. So she asked Otto... Or so she suggested, actually, at first. She suggested that Otto take up a residence in the attic of their home. So she felt like, you know, Fred never went up in the attic. There's no way he's going to discover you up there. She could bring him food, and they could continue their relationship safely out of sight of the neighbors. And is so it, This is reminding me of Anne Frank right now, isn't it? Like, just, just go up there. I'll hide you from the Nazis. I promise I won't be the bitch who turns you in. Well, the weird thing about it, it's like, well, now you're never going to be able to leave, especially at night. Yeah, you know, it's when, a weird one. Like, what if he needs to go up in the attic? Well, I mean, that's that's another risk. I mean, I think she just realized, like, Fred, I mean, she lived with Fred for a long time, you know, and she knew his habits at this point. He never went up in the attic, so. You she know, can hide up there. Otto would be fine. But the weird thing is, young Otto, who is only like, you know, well, he was probably maybe 19 at the time, he would have to abandon all human interactions save for the tantric experiences he was having with <laughs> Dolly during the day. I'm, I'm kind of behind him on that. I'd be like, yeah, fuck people. I want to be by myself. Is he going to get like everything he wants though? She might be like, yeah, I'll bring you food on a plate once a day. But I'd be like, no, I need like books. I need entertainment. I'm not just going to sit up there and twiddle my thumbs until you twiddle my dick. Well, she did provide for him in that way. I wouldn't say she was, like, overly gracious about it. But Otto quit his job at the factory. He didn't really have much of a family. So he just began to spend all his time in this secret hideaway. Um, In the LA Times, when they reported about this story years later, he said he grew to love Dolly, quote, as a boy loves his mother. Oh, no. Which is weird. That's weird. (laughs) So the thing is, Otto was trying to become a, a Pulp Fiction author. So he just, you know, he didn't want to slave away all day at the factory. So instead, now he was sequestered up in the attic. And when he wasn't fucking Dolly, he was writing Pulp Fiction stories that he hoped one day to have published. Which was, Pulp Fiction was, such, was so popular at the time. So at night, he would read mysteries by candlelight and uh, wrote stories of adventure um, which were inspired by the nautical adventure books that Dolly brought him each week from the library. So she would go to the library and bring him books, and she'd bring him food. So he He's was getting, provided. he was provided for. Oh my God, I bet, I bet those stories were terrible. I bet they were awful. And so by day, he would make love to Dolly, and he helped her keep the house, 
and he helped her with her bathtub gin that she made. <laughs> oh, I love it. Dolly. <laughs> and in exchange, he had sex. He had a cot to sleep on, food, books, and writing materials. So, you know, he would just live, you know, so at night, he'd have to be completely silent in the attic because that's when Fred was there. But during the day, I mean, he could walk around the house. He could fuck Dolly. He could eat food, you know, and, and mail out. Um, Dolly would even help him mail his stories to potential publishers. This isn't sounding as bad now because, like, at nighttime, yeah, you know, you'll just go up there. You'll go to bed early. You read one of your nautical books, fall asleep, exhausted I mean, from all the shagging and the housework. I think if, like, some rich heiress right now is like, hey, if you just live upstairs, fuck me every now and then, and I'll pay for you to, you know, for you to live. At my age now, I'd be like, this is great. I could write all day. I could podcast. I'd be perfect. But at his age, I don't know. I'd, I wanted to go out to bars. I wanted to go do drugs. I wanted to party. That's true. But back then, they, this is obviously during Prohibition. There were no bars. Well, that's, that's true. That's why she's making bathtub gin. Yeah, um, but I bet, her, I bet Dolly knew how to throw a fucking party. Yeah, there were speakeasies, though. So, you know, everyone knew where those were. Yeah, I I, I would kind of go around to a house party at Dolly's. I think yeah, that would be way crazy more Crazy parties. Um, Pulp Fiction magazines were the descendants of the 19th century Penny Dreadfuls. And so they're only like 10 cents. And, uh, you know, readers could could read about Tales of sex, murder, addiction, and madness. It's amazing how many famous authors started out as just Pulp Fiction writers. Oh, some of my favorites, Dean. I have a huge stack of Pulps here. I collect them. Um, many writers started on the Pulps and then moved on to the Slicks, and then yeah. finally to hardcover book publications. You know, this is before the, uh, the, the paperbacks. And so some of these... These, these authors started writing Pulp Fiction during their, like, teens. So I was looking this up, actually. Robert Block, who wrote Psycho, I was just out of high school when he started selling his uh, stories to Weird Tales. You know that magazine, or that, it's, it's Pulp Fiction magazine? Yeah, Weird I've got Tales. some copies of Weird Tales, but you're going to mention one of my all-time, uh, well, two of my favorite writers are about to come up. I know it. Possibly. Um, some of the big mystery writers, Dashiell Hammett, yeah. Uh, Raymond Chandler. Also, well, Dashiell Hammett's one of my favorites, but there would be no Coen brothers without Dashiell Hammett. Like oh, pretty definitely. much every Coen brothers film is just a Dashiell Hammett book rehashed, but in a wonderful new way. John D. McDonald, Frederick Brown, even Agatha Christie. They all started Raymond in Chandler. the pulps. A young yeah. Tennessee Williams. He wrote under his real name, Thomas Lanier Williams. Um, he, re- he was only 16 when he started selling stories to Weird Tales. Um, Ray Bradbury, and yeah. along with, you know, Ray Bradbury wrote for the Pulps, but all the big science fiction writers did. Isaac Asimov, Heinlein, Arthur Clarke, John Wyndham. I mean, you kind of, if you wanted to do science fiction, you kind of, you weren't going to make any money. You're not going to publish a hardcover book until you become, became successful. Um, Lucy Maud Montgomery, who's the author of uh, Anne of Green Gables, also started yeah. the Pulps. They're great. I love Pulp Fiction just because purely, especially like the magazines, you're getting like a short story in like so many pages and they're always so much fun. Like they are just great. I collect them often on eBay looking. Well, you know, authors still write, you know, uh, um, Pulp Fiction, but it's just not as popular. At the time, I mean, if you think about it, there's no television. There's, I guess, radio, but, you know, people's entertainment was from, uh, 
was from these Pulp Fiction. And that's what Otto Sanhober wanted to be. He wanted to be an author. He aspired to be an author. So it was, it was worth it to him to hide out in the attic and be Volberga's sex slave. Um, he later claimed to the LA, um, the LA police that they made love up to eight times a day. What? How? She liked the shag. And he was a That's too much shagging, Dolly. That is just, I can't shag eight times a day. Who the fuck can? That's too... Eight. Calm yourself down. Eight times a day. And Fred, the entire time, had no idea for years that Otto Sanhover was up in the attic fucking his wife. Can he not tell that the house smells like fucking tuna? Like, the house would stink of sex. I mean, the, he helped clean her house, and, you know, I don't think Fred had any idea. I mean, Fred was a big drunk, you know. He worked late at the factory, probably came home, passed out, got she up, went back to work. She is insatiable. Like, I can't do it eight times a day. I mean, my God, I've got things to do. I would be so bored. They carried this on for five years. Jesus. Yeah, without all living up in the attic, writing his, uh, his, pulp, his pulp fiction. But Fred began questioning his sanity. While living in this house in Milwaukee, he heard weird noises come from the attic. His cigars kept going missing. And he could swear that he saw strange shadows passing outside his bedroom door on some nights. The shadow people. Would you try and say to him, Fred, you're old, you're drunk, you're a bit senile, there's nothing going on? Or would you, like, maybe say there's a ghost? We're going to get the priest in, we're going to exercise the house. What angle would you take? Well, I'm sure that's what Dolly said. You're just drunk. You're hearing things. You're a drunk old man. Go to bed. And he was just like, Dolly, I'm going to knock you one. (laughs) They did fight, but not not yet. So anyway, Fred was bothered by this, and he decided he needed a big change in his life. So he told Dolly, 1918, we're going to sell this house, and we're moving to Los Angeles. Going to L.A., baby. Heading to Hollywood. Now, this would have complicated matters quite a bit for Dolly, being that there's a, you know, her sex slave is up in the attic. So Dolly said, I'm down to move to L.A., but we have to have a house with an attic. And so, sure, she ended up uh, going out there before Otto to pick a house, and he was like, whatever house you want. And so she found a house in Lafayette Park, which is kind of near K-Town. It's in between K-Town in MacArthur Park. It's a very nice area, actually. There's still, I mean, as a matter of fact, this home is still there. It's, um, as I say. The street, na- the street name changed, though. You'd have to do some digging to find it. Um, but she found this house in Lafayette Park, and she sent Otto there early, so he'd be already settled in the attic before they arrived. Otto is a Californian boy now. Yeah. He's out there. <laughs> now, after they moved to L.A., their marriage became a bit problematic. Definitely started to, to uh, deteriorate, fall apart. Um, Fred was drinking way more than he did in uh, Milwaukee, and the arguments between the couple became violent oh, and no. frequent. Yeah, so one night, August 22nd, 1922, Otto overheard Dolly and Fred like seriously fighting. He was in the attic, and he was worried that, uh, that Fred was, was going to hurt Dolly. So he burst into the room where they were fighting, and he had two guns. So he had taken two pistols. Um, I don't know if they were Fred's, but he had two guns. And Fred recognized him from the factory from back in Wisconsin and became very angry. 
And so they got into a fight. They got into a physical struggle. During the struggle, the, both of the guns went off, and uh, Otto shot Fred three times, killing him instantly. What I was just going to say, this reminds me of like, you know when your parents would be like having a really, really bad fight and you'd be sat upstairs. Sometimes you'd be sat on like the stairway with like your siblings and you're both like, you know, clutching the banisters and Watching. you're like looking through the banisters thinking when will it fucking end and why don't they just get a divorce and like they don't think we're here and we can hear it. But you would never go in the room. You never go in the room. That's what I would have said to to um to Otto. I've been like, they're just fighting Otto. They'll get a divorce. Like you don't have to go in the room. Yeah, but it sounds like, you know, the fighting had become very frequent and then and, and violent. So he must have, like, she must have screamed and he probably was concerned. I mean, he obviously loved her or felt something for her. And so... He's dashing with his two guns, his two pistols. Yeah, he, like, runs in there and he shot him three times. Well, Dolly freaked out, obviously. Yeah. You know, she's like, we just murdered my husband. So it was Otto's idea to stage the scene to look like a botched burglary. So it's a classic. Yeah, Dolly ended up giving uh, Otto all the cash in the bedroom, as well as Fred's diamond watch. And then Otto locked Dolly in a closet and tossed aside the key before returning to the attic with the money, the watch, and the pistols. So now neighbors heard the gunshots, called the police, and uh, and anyway, they knew this would happen. And Dolly had a rock solid alibi because she's hiding. She she couldn't have locked herself in the closet. Yeah. Okay. You know, or shot her husband while being locked in the closet. How's she going to be able to do that? So when the police arrived, uh, you know, they let her out of the closet, and Dolly was and, and Dolly told them that there was a burglary, and this robber shot Fred, took some of uh, their expensive belongings, and then locked her in the closet before fleeing. Now, the police were definitely a bit suspicious of this story because here you have this rich millionaire who is shot dead. His wife seems to be unscathed. And she's saying, yeah. oh, yeah, this burglar came in. You know, he was a black guy, came in the house and killed my husband and then ran out and locked me in the, <laughs> in the closet. You know, it's like, it, de- it definitely seems a bit spurious if you ask me. But they couldn't really prove that it wasn't true because how could you lock yourself in the closet? So they released yeah. her. Um, so now that uh, Valberga here was a very wealthy widow. I mean, she inherited millions. And at the time, I mean, 1920s, a million dollars would be like, what, 10 million? Wait, no, no. What it's it is today? One billion dollars. <laughs> so she decided to buy a new home because there's some bad juju with this existing home. So she bought a, a new house and continued on with her life. And so you would think... That now the husband's out of the way, she and Otto could be open about their relationship. And she could just act like, oh, okay, I just met this guy, I fell in love, and now we're moving to this new house, and no. everything's hunky-dory from this point forward. They could have a normal life. But instead, when Dolly moved to this new home, her voluntary live-in sex slave, Otto Sanuber, took up residence in the attic in the new home. I mean, he's got it good. He doesn't have to worry about life. It's kind of like being in jail, but you're being shagged by Dolly as opposed to like a sister. Yeah, but, but would you want to like live a normal life at this point? Like, why wouldn't they be together? Why wouldn't they? Uh, what's he gonna do? Get married? Like, 
what what do you mean what's he gonna do i wouldn't want to i'd be like look love the police are probably watching you now so it is a bit like we shouldn't be seen together i'll just move back into your attic and you just continue taking care of me and she and she'd be like yeah sure why not and also this means now that she can go out and dick around on him well that's exactly what happened for eight more years they're together here so now during wow. this period, Otto did manage to get a few uh, stories published in uh, Weird him. Tales and some other magazines. And oh, with this money, plus a few nickels and dimes here that he got from Dolly. Dolly didn't really give him that much money, even though she had a lot of money. She gave him food, his shitty cot that he slept on. But she did help him purchase a typewriter that he could use for his stories. So he was allowed a typewriter because now, you know, it didn't, no one's going to hear it. No one's going to hear him typing away all night, so or or at least be bothered by it if they do, like Fred. But as we mentioned before, Otto did not satiate Dolly's desires. I don't think anyone can. She so, is insatiable. I'm, that's what I'm saying. She is like an outright slag with a hell of a sexual appetite. Hats um, off to her. So she started having affairs with multiple other men. One of them was her personal attorney, Herman Shapiro. <gasps> who she had hired um, after being suspected for Fred's murder. I mean, he got her off scot-free, and so she decided, um, let's start shagging. (laughs) So, 1930, Shapiro became a bit suspicious of this whole relationship with, uh, with Dolly because she gave him the diamond watch that she had reported stolen by the burglars who murdered her husband. Oh, Dolly's a bit dumb, isn't she? Well, she started slipping up here. She started making a few glaring errors. Um, But anyway, when Fred, or when Herman Shapiro asked her about it, she's like, oh, I found it actually ended up uh, under a window seat cushion. So Fred must have just misplaced it. So he's like, all right. Misplaced your diamond fucking watch. That happens all the time, I'm sure. So like Fred... Shapiro, who's a lawyer, spent long hours away due to his profession. He was a busy man, too. And so Dolly wasn't being satisfied. So now comes the next lover, Roy Klum, who, um, yeah, who Dolly actually manipulated to help her get rid of the guns that were used to shoot Fred. This is pussy power at work. (laughs) Well, she's very persuasive. You know, I don't know. She must have had like the best pussy of them all. I mean, she had all these men coming to her. She'd get I'm men to do so. things. Yeah. Um, yeah. Some pussy power here. So Dolly got Roy to ditch the gun, and uh, she she convinced him to toss it into the La Brea tar pits. <gasps> no way! Yeah. I love the, the, the tar pits down there. They're really cute. I mean, it's kind of a good idea. How are they going to retrieve the gun from the tar pits? You're not going to. And you also have a nice day out because you can look at all the statues of the elephants that are drowning in the tar. Well, he probably, he probably sneaked out there at night and just chucked it in. But I don't know why she didn't, she didn't have him throw both guns in there. He, he threw one. So Roy threw one gun in the La Brea tar pits. And the other one, she sweet-talked a neighbor into bearing under his rose bushes in his yard. Ooh, you know where I would chuck the other one off because it would look great and symbolic. I would go up to the top of the Hollywood sign because back then it would have been Hollywoodland and I would have like just chucked it off. But police could still find it if they scoured the area. Oh, you've, there's millions of pistols in L.A. Try linking it back to me, please. So anyway, Roy became a bit possessive and he figured out that she was having an affair or at least 
was involved with Herman Shapiro. They didn't know about oh. Otto, though. Otto was still shagging her whenever she wasn't getting shagged by the other guys. And so Dolly ended up breaking up with the possessive Roy, but Roy was bitters. He went to the police yeah. with the story. And uh, so they pulled the gun from the tar pits and arrested Dolly. And her neighbor ended up digging up the other gun and took it to the cops as well. Now, by this point, both guns were pretty decayed and, and very damaged. So they were determined to be of the same caliber that killed Fred. But it was kind of hard to really pin right. it to, you know, pin the bullets. They didn't have any bullets. It was hard to kind of really pin the evidence on, uh, on Dolly. But they had enough to arrest her under suspicion of murder. So while she was awaiting trial... She asked Shapiro, hey, can you buy groceries for San Huber and tap on the ceiling of the bedroom just to let him know that uh, he has groceries? So she oh got her, her lawyer slash lover to go and feed her sex slave up in the attic. Right. So Did she say that it was her, her half-brother or something and he lives upstairs? She tried to, to tell um, Shapiro that San Huber was her vagabond half-brother who lived upstairs. But, weird, but okay. Yeah, Shapiro was already kind of suspicious of that story and thought it was quite weird that the whole time that they'd been shagging for years at this point, there was a dude living upstairs above their bedroom. I mean, that's weird. And so... When, uh, when Shapiro tapped on the ceiling and he, he met Otto, it was the first time that Otto would, had like had a conversation with another man in like, I don't know, like six or seven years. I'm imagining that when he came down from like the bell tower, it was just like, you know, his skin was ashen white <laughs> and he opened the door and he was like, Chah! at the like daylight. <laughs> and then he was like, My another man. <laughs> well, you know, I think, I think Otto you know, relished having company because he just spilled, you know, he spilled everything about the nature of, the, of his relationship with Dolly. He was like, I'm a sex slave. I shag her eight times a day. She oh, he's like, food. dude, let me fucking tell you, bro. I got he's a like, fucking suite up here in this fucking tower, dude. Dude, we hit it every position. Back door, front door, <laughs> in the mouth. You know, and so Shapiro was pretty pissed off hearing this and he basically kicked uh, Otto out of the house. Told me to what? kick rocks. What's Otto gonna do? Who cares? He was he was he was furious, and so he did get Dolly out on bail. But apparently, the fact that she had kept a man in the attic as a sex slave for years didn't really bother the lawyer, and he moved in with her, and got all charges against Dolly Osterreich dropped. What is going on with Dolly's pussy? I'm telling. This saying. is like what is higher than diamond level pussy. This is like Platinum? no dolly level pussy. I'm not sure, but there's something about her pussy that men can't resist. <laughs> right. There is nothing higher than Dolly's pussy now in my mind. This is like the state like that all women should get something. to when men are doing all of this for you. Well, they stayed together for about seven years until things became irreparable. They were fighting too much and decided to uh, dissolve the relationship. And so Shapiro moved out and he told police what he had gathered of the crime against Fred Osterreich. So he kind of knew that Dolly had murdered her ex-husband somehow, and he'd spent seven years fucking her, living with her, having a good time up until things weren't good. As well, he was like, you're a murderer, bitch. What I think happened is he probably was like, listen, bitch, I know you murdered your husband. I'm willing to forget about it. 
no more attic boy for you and just just herman cock and so she was probably cool <laughs> with it for a few years but then she's like fuck this because she's insatiable you know so he she was probably having affairs he figured out and he was like you know what done with this relationship and i'm gonna go to the police and rat you out dolly so once again there are warrants issued for dolly and this time for otto sanhoger as well what's he been up to well dolly was charged with conspiracy to commit murder otto was charged with murder and so he did murder someone the LA Times kind of went crazy with this story. You know, I looked up actually a lot of the pictures that I found. I'm going to post the site were from the original LA Times articles, but it was like a media frenzy. Uh, they called this uh, they they called this trial the Batman of Los Angeles, due to uh, Otto living in a bat cave. And what's funny about this is superhero comics, um, which are descendants of Pulp Fiction, because superhero comics didn't really exist prior to 1930. Um, so Batman was kind of more of like, you know, like a horror type Nosferatu type reference rather than like a heroic superhero. Well, I was, you know, Batman is a war term. Oh, is that what that's from? Well, it's from First World War. Uh, but but so, it was, yeah. but in this, I think in this reference is he was living in this like bat cave, like a bat. Yeah, they're saying he is literally a Batman, but the term Batman comes from the war, the First World War. Well, so during this this whole media frenzy, I mean, he was a tabloid sensation. Everybody wanted to read about the Batman. Um, the public didn't really see him as a tragic romantic that was a sex slave, that was a slave of an, of an immoral deviant like Dolly. Um, so they claimed that he was, uh, you know, that he enjoyed living in this attic and willingly, you know, beca- became her deviant sex slave. And uh, the, the DA called him a perjurer of his own soul. So he was kind of vilified in the press. Um, He should be because he certainly enjoyed it. Well, I think he, you know, obviously took advantage of the situation for his own means. I mean, the guy didn't have to work. He just wrote stories and was, you know, had sex. And it's a great life, right? (laughs) That's what I'm saying. It's not that big of a, I probably could go for that now. Um, I'd like I'm a not little, doing little that bit. For you. Well, I'd like a bigger room than an attic. But anyway, during the trial, Dolly admitted that Otto had shot her husband and covered it up to look like a robbery. And she contended that she took no part in it, and all she did was just lie to the police to protect Otto. So she was throwing him under the bus here. Oh, of course she's going to. She says, "I didn't believe he meant to do it, but I didn't want to expose my life to the world." having him in the house. She testified that she loved her husband, despite the fact that she hid Otto in the attic for 10 years. <laughs> yeah, don't explain <laughs> that away, Dolly. Come on. However, the DA uh, painted her as a cold-blooded murderer who aided and abetted the Garrett ghost lover in perpetrating the murder. Um, this is the, the, the prosecutor said, if there's any sympathy to be felt in this case, don't waste it on this woman. All your sympathy should be with a dead man who wanted a home and a loving wife who was shot down in his own living room when he discovered the lover of his unfaithful wife in his own living room. And he looked at the jury and his final words were, hang this woman. Oh, that's a bit cold. She doesn't deserve to be hung. Like, neither does Otto, really. It just all got a bit weirdly out of hand. Well, they murdered somebody. (laughs) I know, but like, uh, if Fred is... If Fred's hitting her, 
And the fights are violent. You know, it's not like Fred is completely innocent. Yeah, but back then you could knock your wife around and everyone's like, well, you're keeping her in line. I love that Eddie Murphy joke when he's talking about like, you know, you'll be in the car with your woman (laughs) and she'll be like, let me out this instant. And he'll be like, we'll be having none of that, dear. But nowadays it's like (laughs) you'll roll over to the side of the road and be like, get out. Go on, then get out. Well, it's kind of like, uh, remember in like Chinatown when Jack Nicholson just backhands Faye Dunaway? Uh, yeah. <laughs> so you could That's do that back then. Movie. I wouldn't do it now. I definitely wouldn't do it now. <laughs> um, <laughs> so a jury found Sanhuber guilty of manslaughter. Even after his defense tried to go the whole Dolly enslaved him, he was a sex slave against his own will defense. I will take manslaughter. You're not going to get fucking hung from manslaughter. Well, he didn't get anything. He was released because the statute of limitations had expired. Apparently, uh, the statute of limitations for manslaughter was seven years, and it had been eight years since Fred died. <gasps> oh, that was close. I wonder if that's been changed since then. I think I, there's no more. There is no statute of limitations for murder. Is it not good? Yeah. So he'd be fucked nowadays. So he's a so, victim of circumstance. All charges were dropped in Sanhuber. He's a free man. And so now he's 43 years old. So he couldn't live in L.A. anymore because everyone knew him as the Batman. So he ended up changing his name to Walter Klein, and he moved to Canada. where he married another woman. And then, uh, yeah, and just lived his life in obscurity. Good for Walter. Yeah, Walter <laughs> Klein. Now, Valberga Osterreich here, Dolly... Her trial ended in a hung jury, with most oh. of the jurors leaning towards a complete acquittal. Oh. And so in 1936, the indictment against her was finally dropped. She was acquitted. And shortly thereafter, she found a new lover. I because- bet she got so much, <laughs> like in the press though, when they're all talking about how Dolly just needs like her eight times a day fix. I bet there was so many men writing into that paper being like, I want to meet her, put me in touch with her. She, this would have been the best thing that ever happened to Dolly. Well, I'm sure everyone's like, God, she must have a platinum pussy. I got to take this one for a test ride. Yeah, you know? exactly. I want some of that Dolly pussy. Yeah, so she ended up marrying her second husband and 30-year companion. Actually, so oh. Ray, Ray Burt Hedrick was her hu- second husband, um, and she married him two weeks. So two weeks after she married uh, Ray, she died at age 75, oh. 1961. <laughs> Yeah, but they were together for 30 years, so I don't know if he made her an honest woman or if Ray was just like, I don't give a shit. Just don't catch herpes, (laughs) you know? Anyway, it's a bizarre story, even by uh, today's standards. Like, just could you, I mean, if this story came out now, you know, everybody, it would be a, you know, a media sensation. And so, you know, the uh, the story of Valberga Osterreich inspired the feature film The Bliss of Mrs. Blossom. Sounds like a porn. Um, it does. As well as two made-for-TV movies. 1995, The Man in the Attic, starring Neil Patrick Harris. Oh. And recently, 2018, Lover in the Attic with uh, Molly Burnett. So when you first said to me we were going to be covering Dolly's story for um, a Valentine's Day treat... I, the foot came down to me. I demanded it. I said, it's my birthday and you're going to have to let me talk about Anna East Nin because Dolly's story and hers, it's got a lot of parallels apart from there's no murder with Anna East Nin. But, you know, Anais Nin definitely used to fuck though. Oh, she's a lover. Yeah. She's got a Dolly level pussy as well. Yeah. She had her fair share. Anna East Nin, she's my birthday twin. She's born February the 21st, 1903. 
to Cuban parents in a, I will say this wrong, Louis-Lise-Sursan, which is kind of just west of Paris. Her father, Joaquin, he fled to France during the Cuban Revolution. He left her mother when Anaïs was around 11. So this is after a childhood that he'd spent berating her. And he actually referred to her as a little insect. <laughs> the quest for her father's approval, it's going to engulf the next 20 years of her life. And yeah, it might get sexy forever on down the road between the pair of them. I'm not going to get into all the ins and outs because I do want to cover her on the Patreon one day. So we're just going to get straight to the juicy stuff and why I think she's very similar to Dolly. Did you find her very attractive? Anaïs is gorgeous. Yes. She was, yeah, she was attractive in a a unique way. I think she was definitely, um, she definitely had some very sexy features. I'm going to look up a picture of her. So Anaïs married her first husband, uh, Hugh Parker Goulier, in 1923. This is where her literary career would begin. She's got her own money because her mother was an heiress, but Hugh kept the ship afloat, basically, as he's a banker in the beginning. But he's going to pursue his own artistic course during his lifetime, too. During their marriage, she began focusing more on keeping her famous diaries in which she would recount her days, her yearnings, her feelings, and how wonderful Henry Miller's big, fat American cock felt. (laughs) She's a true Pisces. There's two sides to her, and it's kind of understandable at the time. Anna East was all about exploring. Uh, She even shagged a very famous psychoanalyst, Otto Rank, because she's irresistible. And well, it, she she shagged a lot of psychoanalysts. She shagged them all because she would go in there and make them fall in love with her. She was irresistible. She's gorgeous. And this is the kind, you know, this is the 1920s. It's the start of true bohemia. She supported Henry Miller. Like, Henry Miller was a bit of a freeloader. He knew when she loaned him her typewriter that she wouldn't have one. She would often forego luxuries like perfume so that he could go out and bed prostitutes. And together, they had a very passionate love affair. Both of them wrote about in extreme detail, and it actually ended in a pregnancy that she unwillingly had an abortion in 1934, and this abortion meant she could never become pregnant again. I didn't know if she aborted his his child. She's 100% sure it was his child, but she Hmm. was also shagging her husband at the time. But her and Henry were just getting down and dirty at this point in history. That guy got down and dirty with a lot of women. Oh, yeah, he did. So the way that Henry Miller writes about cunts, well, Anna East writes about, like, um, pussy and, like, dicks in the same kind of way. (laughs) These two are going to remain lifelong best friends, and they're going to be champions of each other's works for the rest of their lives. But they do eventually just become friends. It's the next lover that's really going to make up for this. Real quick, didn't um, Anais Nin uh, fund the publishing of uh, Tropic of Cancer, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah all so, of, I mean, pretty much all of his early works. He so would without, not have survived. So he wouldn't even been on the map if it wasn't for her. No. And she's a fantastic, like, I can't implore to you enough that she is the better writer out of the two of them. If I could recommend far. one book by her, Little Birds is amazing. I remember, I, I forget what girl I was dating years ago, and I'd never heard oh, of well, her Oh, well, girls time. love that book. Yeah, I'd never, I'd never heard of a nice, I heard of Henry Miller, but I hadn't heard of, uh, I'd probably just discovering Henry Miller. And so I remember reading both books. I definitely enjoyed uh, Little Birds much more than uh, Tropical Cancer. I, I could talk about her books all the live long day, but if you're going to start, Henry and June is obviously a great starting point, but the diaries. Yeah. Just start reading the diaries, go from like, I think there's 13, 1 to 13. I've read them all. They're great. So 
She's been married to Hugh for over two decades when she's going to meet the next love of her life. He's a handsome, out-of-work actor. You know, she seems to have a lot of vagabonds that she's yeah. like little waifs, strays that she, she brings into her orbit. She's a type. Yeah, and this is an out-of-work actor named Rupert Pohl. And she meets him in the East Village in New York in 1947. This is where her and Hugh are living. This would be Gin what she called her trapeze act between one life in California with Rupert and the other life in New York with Hugh, where she would spend six weeks with one husband and six weeks with the other. And this continued for about eight years. So were the husbands aware of each other? And did they care? No. They had, so no. what did she say? Why would she be like, well, I'm going out to you know, the East Coast for six weeks? She had a whole like set of lies already like ready for them and to keep up with the lies that she told them, she had a thing she called the lie box. <laughs> and she would keep track of the two stories that she was telling both of them. So it's kind of like a bigamy account. So she would never get caught out. And there's tons she did to stop them from finding out about each other. And they never did for a it long just, time. This is one thing about having affairs and tryst and all that. It's so complicated. You got to do so much, more, so much work. Why not just break yeah. up with the person? I'm too lazy to yeah. do any of this. Rupert believed that Anais was divorced. He had proposed to her and he actually did the classic ruse of uh, he put a diamond ring in a glass of orange juice. She didn't drink very much, so that's why it's orange juice. And they got married. She married him in a courtroom in Arizona, knowing full well she was already married to Hugh, who's back in <laughs> New York. Big I love her. Yeah. So like you were saying, both men had suspicions during the marriage, but Anne-Anise, uh, she was always one step ahead of them, and she managed to hide the truth until the mid-70s. The only reason she actually told them both about what she'd been doing was because she was really sick by this point with cancer. And both men instantly forgave her, and they had a really warm friendship with each other. For those who don't know anything about Anna Eastman, you'll think, like, why? Why did they forgive her? But for those who do know about Anna Eastman, you know exactly why. Both men knew that having half of her was better than having none of her at all. And I can agree with that. So when she died, Hugh was named her widower, but Rupert, she made her executor, and he would help publish over 30,000 pages of her diary. And all of us can read that and know the incredible story of her life, which is far deeper than I ever have time to go into. Rupert, he rents a small plane. He scatters her ashes over the coast of Santa Monica. When Hugh dies in 1985, he does the exact same thing, scattering his ashes over the same cove. Rupert died in 2006, and he's still waiting to be reunited with them off the waters of Santa Monica. So they're all going to be ashes scattered together. Well, very so romantic. Rupert's ashes haven't been scattered yet? Not yet, but I think I was reading an article that said that that's his wish. He does want to go and be scattered over Santa Monica. Maybe it's happened by now. It's just never been reported. I'm surprised they didn't just, why didn't they all live together in some kind of like polygamous situation? Like that's not what Anise wanted. It's not what <laughs> she wanted. But I do have like some last words from her. And I also feel it kind of sums up Dolly's attitude as well. She, you, wait, Anna, wait. You don't think she wanted to be DP'd? <laughs> No, it's about more than that, you dick. <laughs> Anna Issa said, I disregard the proportions, the measures, the tempo of the ordinary world. I refuse to live in the ordinary world as an ordinary woman or to enter ordinary relationships. I want ecstasy. <laughs> That's Anna Eastman. And Dolly, too, with a Dolly-level pussy. Well, I think she liked the proportions of the American cock. 
big American cock. Strong American penis. Big American penis. <laughs> uh, people, this is episode 882 here at Sick and Wrong. We got some phone calls coming up next. You can call the Sick and Wrong hotline at 323-522-4032. Or you can email the show, sickandwrongpodcast at gmail.com. But first, here's a quick message from Adam and Eve. Hey, guys. It's me, Stephen. I'm a huge fan of your show. Thanks to your awesome coupon code, Diddle, I can buy myself loads of good sex toys. Since both of my wives died, and my Lugaric's disease got pretty bad. Let's just say things in the bedroom got pretty boring. But thanks to adamandeve.com and coupon code Diddle D-I-D-D-L-E I am now a new man. Thanks. Okay, Rambo, we got a few uh, phone calls to get to. We've been getting some good ones, actually, this past week. My so, favorite um, part of the show. Yeah, keep it going, people. Give us a call, 323-522-4032. Keep it under three minutes. We'll definitely play it here on the show. Uh, this first call came in from, uh, remember that woman that watches a lot of YouTube? Me, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, this woman does, too. She has a question nice. for me. Hey, Dee, this is the YouTube watcher. Um, I had a question. Why do you always do a tranny voice whenever you're imitating your mom? <laughs> you know, you do like a <laughs> voice. And I was just curious, why do you do the tranny voice? Uh, oh, my God. This is best question. Your mom looked like a woman in those pictures. Uh, anyway, that's not, that's my question. <laughs> so you know it's obviously exaggerated um much like my dad's voice although my dad's voice is kind of close to what the the impression i do but my mom she had a very husky voice she had like a very like like a she ve- was a radio dj yeah she? Uh, she did radio and she did she did like musicals when she was younger but then she did radio when she like in the 60s and so she had this very deep voice for a woman, like, hello. <laughs> and so it's, it kind of sounded, you know, it kind of sound, sounded like a tranny. Um, but it was, it was funny because I remember, you know, in high school, all my friends would make fun of my mom's voice. <laughs> and they'd be like, David, I'm going to pick you up after school. <laughs> but obviously that's exaggerated, but she definitely had a very raspy like sultry voice, you know, and, and it, she's it's, a Chicago girl. Yeah. <laughs> that was one thing she would always do because she's from Chicago. And someone asked her like, so, and you know, actually, you know, it's also kind of funny. I don't talk about my mom all that often, but she's been dead for a long time, but um, her nickname was Dolly. I know. I love it. Oh my God. Well, I wonder if, uh, well, your mom dated Hell's Angels. Yeah, before my mom met the rabbi, she uh, she dated some cops. She dated a couple, she dated a hell's angel. She got around. She was 
Yeah, that Dolly was throwing the Dolly pussy around. Yeah, and then the and rabbi she... came along and was like, "Hello, I hate raisins." The, the rabbi made an honest woman out of her. You're going to settle down and be a rebbitzin. <laughs> be a good Jewish woman. And it's called a rebbitzin, a rabbi's wife. Um, but anyway, my mom had this like very like deep kind of sultry voice. And so anyway, in high school, everyone used to be like, David. And she would, I mean, she was definitely, she was odd. <laughs> she had, she had some, some issues later on when I was in high school. But so people used to, but the thing that I think people always brought up when you'd mentioned my mother is her voice, because it was just it was very atypical for a woman's voice. It was like a it was like you know who was who who's it was like it was very similar to Kathleen Turner's voice. Oh, okay, yes, very handsome woman type voice. There is something very alluring yeah, about like a, that. I mean, I, I wouldn't say it was like a tranny's voice, but it was like uh yeah, it just it was a very like deep, kind of husky voice, very sexy. Are you saying your mom had a sexy voice? I, well, I think she would be like, mm. I bet you she could have been like a phone sex operator. She probably could have been. I mean, they don't you know? just let anyone on the radio DJ back in those days either. And she used to read a lot of um, like uh, advertisements, you know, and things but, like yeah. that, like radio ads. And, and she did voiceovers for things. She ended up... Uh, also becoming a court stenographer because she could type really fast. So I think she did the radio career, didn't really go anywhere, and then she went into court stenography before she became a she rabbi's became, wife. Yeah, but became a podcaster. You know, I bet you, if my mom was still alive, I bet you she would have been great on the podcast because she was really funny. So yeah. it would have been, yeah, it would have been hilarious. But yeah, she did have a very deep voice. And so when, I, when I'm doing it, obviously I'm, I'm, making a, an exaggeration, like a, a humorous imitation, but she did sound like this, David. <laughs> 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 and so when people would ask her where she's from, she'd be like, I'm a Chicago girl. <laughs> That's become my thing now. I say it inside in my head, like probably at least once a day, and we were having big giggles about that in Paris. That was our thing. I'm a Chicago girl. My sister can do it really well. I can do it pretty good. Like she like brushed her hair back and be like, I'm a Chicago girl. But when <laughs> me and Stephanie were young and like any, we knew when people were like, oh, especially in South Africa, they'd be like, oh, where are you from? You know, and, uh, and her name, actually, her name was also kind of unusual as Ardis. Oh, yeah. I love the name Ardis. Yeah. A-R-D-I-S. It was a weird name. I haven't really met anyone. Named, you know, the only person I've ever met named Ardis was a black man. <laughs> <It was>, <laughs> 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 but anyway, people would be like, so where are you from, Ardis? And me and Stephanie would just like look and just wait. And we'd be like, I'm a Chicago girl. <laughs> <laughs> love it <laughs> i'm gonna adopt that when i move over and people ask where i'm from i'm gonna be like i'm a carlisle girl <laughs> i'm a carlisle girl <laughs> <laughs> anyway thank it. you there youtube watcher hope i answered the question for you um second call here we have is a very it's a little bit longer than what i usually play but it's a good one it's uh tim calling in about uh about an incident he had with a coworker. Oh. Hey, DNK, this is Tim calling in with a story, uh, traveling with some workmates. And so, um, a few months back, I called in with a story about uh, traveling to a conference and sharing a house with some people that I work with. And one of the guys who uh, chewed on his feet, um, 
If you didn't hear that, go back and listen. I don't know. It's a few months ago. Do you remember that call? Uh, unfortunately, I do remember that call. As uh, as said, the guy you chewed on his feet. Turn my stomach. Yeah. First of all, the, the part that really bothered me about it, I mean, obviously, the, the feet chewing, but just having to share like an Airbnb with your fucking coworkers, I'd be like, fuck you. Put me up in a hotel room. Yeah, exactly. I what wouldn't kind of, do it either. What kind of verkakta company do you work for? <laughs> kind of cheap ass company do you work for is what i'd be asking i'm not gonna fucking share a room with my co-workers i don't even want to be first of all i don't even like traveling with them it gets to a certain point in your life where you're like i will only travel with like friends or my partners and then if i i'm not staying in like a random airbnb with people i work with it's not i'm not like networking i'm not like a a residential with school well i'm assuming Tim has a corporate job, and you do get sent to conferences. But if, whenever I've been sent to conferences, uh, I get my own room in a hotel where the conference is being held. I'm not fucking getting an apartment for some budget rate and sharing it with like four other coworkers. And some feet chewers. Yeah, Ugh. disgusting. Anyhow, <laughs> now that we get to go and do stuff in person again, um, I told my boss I do not want to share a room with these people. Um, I'm good senior staff so i shouldn't have to and we have money to do it so um i think i'm gonna travel down to dc for this past conference and live my life and go and come and go as i please have a lovely time with other people i know and like and not be uh weighted down by uh some of the more socially awkward weirdos that i get to spend my work week with and so it was red flags from the beginning this one guy same foot chewing guy um had trouble registering had trouble with his credit card had trouble getting his train ticket had trouble getting his hotel booked so since i'm see this is the problem it's like now you have to yeah now you have to be a nanny to some coworker who's inept how did these people get jobs in the first place if you can't book a hotel book a train and have trouble doing that how are you employed I mean, I don't get it, and I I can't understand that, but I mean, I, I'm assuming since he's senior management, he has to be somewhat responsible for these people, but I would be so annoyed. I'm like, do you know how to use the fucking internet, you fucking idiot? I would be responsible in getting that person fired, because how are they working there if they can't even book a train ticket? You know how easy it is? It, there's like myriad ways to do it. Well, I'm, I'm not sure how it works in the UK. But in the U.S., if you have a full-time employee, you got to, like, kind of jump through hoops to get this person fired, even if they're incompetent. Like, you got to work with HR, and it can, it's like a process. Yeah, but I just wouldn't help them in doing anything. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. If they're like, how do I book a train ticket? I'd be like, go on WikiHow. <laughs> Follow what it says on WikiHow. I'm not here to tell you how to book like, a train ticket. Does Tim have to help him, like, dress himself? Like, I mean, I just don't get it. It sounds like, like he's at the stage where that might start happening. Ugh. The uh, senior person, I got to put it all on my work card. And so covered his hotel room, his train ticket, his uh, Uber, the whole shebang. At least it's and a I work think I'm, card. I'm done. I get him down there, it should be free. But then as we get down there, he tells me his credit card doesn't work at all. He only has a $5 balance, whereas mine is like $20,000. So I can Oh my god. At this point, balance. At this point I would have put him on a train right back to where the fuck he came from. What what can five dollars even fucking buy you these days? Five dollars can't even get you a sandwich. 
Well, it sounds like he doesn't know how to use his credit card properly or didn't at least like approve the balance with the company before he went out there. Either or, that or he's never paid it and he only has $5 on it. Or he doesn't have enough funds to expense it. Like, cause you, you could, if, if my corporate credit card wasn't working, I would use my personal and then expense it and get paid back and get reimbursed. But apparently this guy doesn't even have the know-how to do that. God, what a noob. Pay for any, I could buy a car while I'm down there and just deal with the consequences after I get back. Anyhow, so I now realize I have to take care of this 30-year-old man to make sure that he eats food and isn't just left to mill about our name. The worst part about this, and this is what really gets my goat here, and so being that he has to pay money for this dude and, and for his sustenance, you're going to have to eat every dinner and lunch with him. No, 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 no. What I would do is I would go out and take like $100 and get the receipt for that. And I would like, even if my company doesn't give me back $100, I would bite it that day and be like, you have $100. This is to last you one day of food. On you go, son. On yeah, I would go. be like, here's 100 bucks. This is fuck off money. So fuck off. That's what I would do. That's exactly what I would do. Capital. Um, so we had, what, uh, five days, you figure, two meals a day, except for the first and last. So uh, seven meals together, lunch and dinner. Uh, um, and uh. the one that is my highlight, because it's a, almost a two-parter, is we were at a Chinese restaurant, and he ordered beef and broccoli. Classic Asian dish. Says no broccoli. He just wants a pile of beef. And so then we look at him. He goes, well, I don't like how broccoli makes me feel. You know who does that? Jeffrey. Jeffrey, my brother, will order beef and broccoli. He'll order two dishes. Of Actually, Stephanie will order it for him. Because Jeffrey never orders. Like He'll be like, yeah, give me, you know, give me uh, what I usually get. Beef and broccoli, no broccoli. And so he'll get two, two orders of beef and broccoli. They're just beef. Because he hates vegetables. He's like, Jeffrey's like the anti-vegetarian. <laughs> yeah, it seems like this guy is. They could probably go on a date together. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, probably. Um, probably would. And so we just fucking let it go because it was like, well, maybe it's because it's fiber and it's not just like a solid mass of meat getting stuck <laughs> in your colon. Well, my brother does like solid masses of meat in his colon. <laughs> <laughs> That's the important part because then the next day, we all meet up because we're all going to the same place. I get my coffee. I want to go wash my hands before we go down to this, uh, the lecture halls for whatever this conference is, you know, going to be about. And so I go into the restroom and then he comes storming in after me because no. he's got urgency. And so then he like, he, he, like a fucking martial arts movie, knocks open the bathroom <laughs> stall door, sits down like there's, you know, uh, <laughs> fucking bomb strapped to his chest and you hear straining and then just like so much so much farting but like hear, hearing someone strain is such an uncomfortable thing especially when you know who they are yeah. <laughs> that's gotta be the worst so wait was he like straining because he was trying to force out this massive bolus of shit beef shit yeah, like a big, massive, like, beef obstruction in his colon. I imagine this dude probably has a lot of hemorrhoids. 
I just would never work with this person again. Tim, did you have to charge Preparation H for this guy on your corporate card? I'm surprised this guy didn't get Tim in to come and help him shit out this beef shit. <laughs> this beef shit. Makes me wonder now, like, I wonder if my, I mean, thankfully I don't have to deal with my brother shitting, but I wonder if it's similar. Like all that beef, no broccoli. you know that's one thing that's another thing with coworkers. it's like you see people going into the bathroom you see them going you know you see them going to the stall while you're like taking the piss the urinal you know who's like you know farting for the you know 30 seconds straight while they're forcing out a shit and it's it's awkward like it's awkward what i usually do if i'm like taking a piss and I see like someone I work with or whatever, like my boss or someone go in the in the stall and just like tear the place apart. I get the fuck out of there before they're done because I just don't want to have to meet their eyes. <laughs> I have never once taken a shit in any of my workplaces ever. But if you do, and I never sh- will. But if you take a shit, is it like a one toilet restroom, like a one toilet, or is it like an actual restroom with like three toilets? And I mean, all my jobs, every job I've ever had. I have never shit in any of them. Do you know why? Because I'm not a fucking animal. Ugh, right? You, know, sometimes you, you can can't train avoid your body it. to shit. You can train your body to just be like, I will shit before I go to work. Well, this guy obviously then- had urgency. I mean, he kicked the door open <laughs> like fucking urgent. cops busting after a child molester in a motel. I do like the way Tim says this guy has urgency. <laughs> urgency. <laughs> it's like nearly like an advert. <laughs> I would get the fuck out of his way too. But the worst thing about it is this guy obviously doesn't give a shit. Well, Literally. he doesn't care less what his uh, his coworkers think of him. I mean, he's chewing on his feet. I do believe this guy is on the spectrum, which further enhances my how did he get the job in the first place question. Oh, I don't know. You know, my work actually hires a lot of people from this autism foundation. Because is I, that why I, you work there? That's <laughs> how <laughs> yeah. so I got the job. Now, I think they get like some kind of cutback, like a tax rebate. Oh, they will. I think. So there's like... One department where there's like four dudes that are very much on the spectrum. I rarely Should go back there. It's weird. They they don't like bright light, so it's dim. Like it's dimly Ooh, lit. Oh, I would work in, in that. Yeah, I'd work when in you, the So dim when light. you walk in, you just see these like troglodytes. They're all kind of like out of shape and hunched over. They don't speak are to each other. Are you calling autistic people troglodytes? No, I'm calling these dudes that I work with troglodytes. And like, <laughs> and you walk in there, and it's yeah, they're very quiet. They all have their headphones on. And it's very dimly lit. It's you, you can, it's only really lit by like the uh, the mo- screens of their monitors. Are you? They're nearly like Gollum esque, is what I'm picturing. Yeah, they, they, they and then live a in regular a person. See, I would probably work in that environment because they would, although they might be easily startled. I'm pretty sure they're like chill. They get upset really easily, so you kind of have to oh, be careful. Like if something's it. wrong, you, you got to be very careful of the words you choose. Oh, could you imagine me working with them? I would just say you don't understand, fellas, because you're not from the north of Britain. So stop trying to make me uh, reel back my culture. You're affecting my culture. I, I think having a northern slag there would throw off the stasis. I think they, like, I think those dudes would be very like confused by your presence. I don't know, I don't know what they I would do. I don't blame them. Uh, and so I just washed my hands and left, but... I guess he doesn't eat vegetables and this is like a daily occurrence for him of just like trying to, I don't know, blow blood vessels in his eyes. Um, Horrifying, 
horrifying uh, and gross. Um, I think that might be it for this <laughs> this adventure. That was the funniest and grossest thing that had happened. Keep it sick. Bye. God, could you imagine being on a corporate trip with my brother? <laughs> Have you ever been to the nation's capital? Have you ever? Yeah, I've been to DC a couple times. Um, Yeah, I saw Lincoln statue, Washington Monument. I've never been to the Smithsonian. We were going to, but it was the line was too long. To me, it feels like it would be a drinker's town because there's a lot of politicians there. There's a lot of bars, but it's it's so douchey. It's so douchey. douchey. I mean, there, there's a, there's definitely still a scene there. I mean, you had like, you know, all the like pussy galore, Fugazi, all the Discord bands yeah, and all yeah. that used to play there. That's what I was thinking. But it's understated. From what I could tell when I was there, it was like, it's just very douchey. Like these very you know, like, I liked, yuppie bars. A couple of years back when that guy uh, and his groomed, and his groomed pedophilic boy that he had picked out of the orphanage, uh, just went and started shooting people. Oh, in uh, D.C.? Oh, the D.C. Yeah, just, sniper. Yeah, I just started sniping was, people. Was that the guy that was doing it from the back of his car? Like he was hiding in they his, both were, his yeah. trunk? Yeah. He was driving around just shooting people. Wasn't there a he dude? He groomed in, the fuck out of that child. Wasn't there a dude in Phoenix doing a very similar thing around the same time? The Phoenix sniper. The Phoenix sniper sounds way cooler than the D.C. sniper. <laughs> yeah, no, I do remember that. Um, you know, I don't know. Is it a crime to take out a few politicians? Not on my watch. Makes me wonder. Anyway, Tim, thanks for calling in. Looking forward to hearing some more coworkers' stories. So do you hang out with this guy outside of work? Do you guys do happy hour together? Is, is he married? Does he have a girlfriend? There's so many questions no. here. What does his cubicle look like? Does he decorate it? Disgusting. His cubicle I, is disgusting. I, I picture a lot of sports figure bobbleheads. That's what I'm thinking. No, I'm thinking what's the other thing? Is it they called Funkos that the nerds collect? Oh, Funkos, yeah. It is Funkos, isn't it? The People are into that. Them. I could see that. You know, I remember for a while I worked I worked next to this guy. He was a contractor. He wasn't a full-time hire. But he was really close friends with um, like an executive VP. I think that's the only way he got the job. But this dude, like... He would wear like a stained t-shirt. He dressed like Barney from The Simpsons. He'd wear like a stained t-shirt, almost the same one every day. Usually it was like a Kansas t-shirt, like the band Kansas. Once again, I'm asking, what was the song Kansas did? Although Carry I on my this wayward like son. Which is the song? Carry on my wayward, wayward son. son. Yeah. Be peace Don't you cry no more. Anyway, yeah, he always wore this song. shirt and his and like his torn jeans. And he came in there, smoked a ton. I guess he smelled really bad, but I don't have much of an olfactory sense. And I sat right next to him. You know how I always bring up Forrest Gump and you tell me off for uh, speaking about Forrest Gump all the time. Every episode you go, and I don't have an olfactory sense. Well, I I mention it when it's appropriate. So it's appropriate here because this guy smelled like cigarettes and B.O. apparently. And so So he sat right next to me and I had no idea. But I remember like a lot of coworkers complained to HR about this guy's stank because he Good. smelled that bad. And his whole desk had just like fast food wrappers and Red Ew. Bull cans, like a pyramid of Red Bull cans that he, he made like a wall of Red Bull cans between me and him 
because I sat I like, like on the table next to him. Yeah. And then it was, and just like it was food wrappers everywhere. And some of my coworkers would come over and be like, dude, do you not smell that guy? Like you can't smell that. And I was like, oh, does he smell bad? They're like, he smells fucking terrible. He smells like, like I don't BO have no factory sense. and cigarettes. And I'd be like, I had no idea. And so all this time I had been sitting next to this guy that just reeked and had no idea. And maybe that's why people weren't coming over to, to my desk. That's because, pretty good then, because he's like a natural defense system against the office coming up to you and like having a name chit chat. Yeah, it was weird. This dude ended up like having a motorcycle accident and uh, and like fucked up his arm and then becoming super addicted to opioids. But they oh. they couldn't fire him, like because of his relationship with his vice president. So he had like would come to work maybe once every three weeks it was really weird like it took a while for them to finally get rid of this dude and his red bull cans even though he wasn't coming he saw that desk and it's just this pyramid of red bull cans that he wouldn't let the maintenance guys or the janitors throw away i would have totally thrown that away when he wasn't around and then just blamed it on someone else i couldn't what's he gonna do matter he's only got (laughs) one good fucking arm I, I don't know. I don't know whatever happened to the guy. This is a few years ago, but but I anyway, think he's dead from opioids abuse, and his name was Andrew Harrison. Possibly, he looked like the type though that would order broccoli beef, no broccoli. Um, people call the sticker on hotline three two three five two two four zero three two. Once again, thank you to all the listeners who support us on Patreon. I know we go off on it every week, but we're really trying to you know we we rely on that money. That's what keeps this show going. And it's the only profit we really make from all this work that we do every week. So if you appreciate us, if you appreciate us and you enjoy this show, give us a little. You'll get a lot. Patreon.com slash sick and wrong. Also, we have a Tee Public store. I know people have been buying some of our our new sick and wrong designs. So sickandwrongpodcast.com slash shop. Click on the picture of the Pope and get yourself some sick and wrong merch. And finally, here's sick and wrong song of the week. This is topical, Kate Rambo. This is topical. Okay. So I was reading about this uh, this pop performer, a regular diva named Kim Petras. You ever heard of her? Her name is familiar. Well, she recently performed live at the Grammys with uh, Sam Smith. And that's how I know it then. They did a, a rendition, a very dramatic performance of the song Unholy. Um, Kim Petras is actually the first transgendered person to ever win a Grammy as a matter of fact so that's kind of interesting yeah she you know (laughs) she was the youngest person in the world to have at at the time she had a gender confirmation surgery at 16 years old Germany she was the youngest person in the world at that time 2008 anyway has, has a younger person had it since then or is she still the youngest who knows with those Europeans I can't tell hey, them I can't tell the men from the women anyway over but that's there. true, to be fair. <laughs> Especially in no, Germany, I don't know, my God. I don't know what the laws what the laws are there now. I think they've definitely changed the laws to be at least 16. I know uh, Spain just recently adjusted their laws for gender reassignment surgery. But but this is like, you know, it was quite a few years ago. So um, at the Grammys, Smith and Petrus uh, performed the song Unholy, and Sam Smith wore like this cartoonish like Satan outfit like this pvc satan outfit with horns and they had like they were surrounded by flames and all these writhing dancers well anyways um i guess uh 
it really pissed off Ted Cruz. Good. Ted Cruz was very upset about this entire performance. He hated it, and he tweeted about it twice. Um, he uh, tweeted a clip of the performance, and he, uh, he wrote, Demons are teaching your kids to worship Satan. Good. <laughs> and then uh, in the next tweet, he wrote, This, ellipses, is ellipses evil. It's not really evil, mate. It, like, he's obviously never once listened to, I don't know, a Judas Priest song. Can you imagine Ozzy. if, like, Judas Priest was brought, or Venom was brought to, like, Ted Cruz's attention? He would just have, a, like, a coronary. Well, I think Ted Cruz hated this Grammy performance so much because he masturbated two times while watching it. So oh, I think he just, I think he hated the fact that he was so aroused by Sam Smith. <laughs> I think that's what it was. Anyway, we're going to end the show here with a Kim Petras song called Throat Goat. Um, okay. And, uh, you know, I was reading that uh, in the, there's a commenter on the YouTube page here that wrote that a lot of people are unaware that this song is about a Mongolian goat farmer who sings with his throat in that traditional, like, folk Mongolian way. And uh-huh. so uh, the song Throat Goat is an homage to him and his work. So may he rest in peace with this song as his background. Right. Um, also, I think Dolly would have actually really uh, appreciated this song. Uh, she was definitely a throat goat herself. I would say so. Uh, we'll be back next week with episode 883. Till then, take it sleazy. <laughs> I'm
Hi, this is Christopher Walken. I uh calling in as sick and wrong with a joke. Uh what's the difference between Amy Winehouse and a moped? A moped can make it to thirty. Gotta go. Bye. <laughs>